Hello, this is Matt Weston with Battle Red Blog, and of course, Battle Red Radio. You're listening to the beginning of the 2020 AFC South preview, starting with the Jacksonville Jaguars. For today's episode, I was joined by Ryan Day of Big Cat Country, and we record this episode on Tuesday, July 28th. If anything wild and zany and crazy has happened between now and the day that you listen to this podcast, like Yannick Ngakwe getting traded, or Andrew Norwell requesting a trade, or... Mike Glennon became the starting quarterback in Jacksonville. That will not be covering this podcast. So with that disclaimer, let's start the show. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and this evening I'm joined by I'm joined with Ryan Day of Big Cat Country. How are you tonight, Ryan? Doing good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, is is Big Cat Country right now? Is it Big Sad Country just yet? Are y'all preparing for it, or what's the what's the second ad? What's the first adjective in there right now? Um, hopeful. Hopeful hope, uh, country. Yeah, yeah. Hope. Big, big hope country. Um, I like that. No, there's. I think that there's there's been so many years where like we're in like year 12 of our rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the first four five, six off seasons of it, you just kind of get in this rhythm of the off season is our actual season. And like those games, those 16 games that happen, like th- that's just in the way that's in between yeah, yeah. the next free agency class, the next draft class that's going to get you there. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where we are, I think. I mean, I, I'm kind of playing into my own stereotype, but we, I mean, we have a lot of draft picks um, this year and next. We have, like, good players at key positions. I don't think we have a very good roster overall, but at least it's entertaining. I mean, Gardner Minshew is not elite, but he's very fun to watch. So Yeah, yeah like, I, and you also have, like, $90 million in cap space next year as well, too. And so like in the AFC South, you know, I really think it could go any way with Houston, Tennessee, and Indianapolis. And so I think the Jaguars are really comforting this year. You know, we're like, you, you know that they're going to rebuild. You know they're probably going to be bad. You know they're probably going to finish last place in the division. And, like, it's nice to have some certainty in a division that's wide open. And, you know, any, like, any possibility or, like, any end result wouldn't be impossible at all, I feel like, with the other three teams, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, although we did have you on the ropes, like, week two last year yeah and and if you know if our coach had called a pass on that two-point conversion things might have looked very very differently but he didn't and we lost by a point <laughs> and then the season pretty much imploded uh, a couple weeks after that yeah but, in london yeah i mean you're right i mean the 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 division is very much between the texans and the titans if bill o'brien can get out of his own way and just not alienate every good player he's ever been handed on a silver platter, I think you guys would would do a lot better. Um, but Tennessee's built very, very well. Um, and so I, I think it's a two-horse race. Yeah, I can still see Indian there as well, too. I mean, like, I know Philip Rivers was awful last year, but he was awful behind, like, 
two paper bags at offensive tackle. And so just with the offensive line where he can just sit back there forever and throw plastic bags in the air, um, I think that they'll be able to compete as well too. And I like their defense, I think, more than most people do as well uh, with the Buckner addition too. But So we came here to talk about the Jaguars. So the 2018 season was a disaster for the Jaguars after they came off a AFC title game appearance. Blake Burles was benched for Cody Kessler. The offense was injured. The defense played great, but they didn't force the same number of turnovers. And they also went two and six in one score games. So Jacksonville attempted to resuscitate this team back to life by signing Nick Foles. And so last season, what were your expectations for the Jaguars entering 2019? Were you expecting them to you know, compete last year and get back to the playoffs and like have immediate, like have like an actual you know bounce back season um, after the decisions they made in the 2019 offseason? Yeah, I mean. 2017 was, I mean, you could tell four or five weeks in, you could tell that this was a once in a generation defense that we were watching. I mean, we had, we had two games where we got 10 sacks, uh, in that game. One of which, (laughs) one of which against your, your hometown, Houston, Houston Texans. Um, yeah, I think Tom Savage was sacked six times in that first half. He was. And then, and then for some reason, Bill O'Brien just didn't start Deshaun Watson from the onset, he was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to ease Deshaun into this. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure Deshaun has a lot to learn from Tom Savage. (laughs) Great job. But uh, no, I mean, Jaguars fans were very, very happy to see that Deshaun was not starting. Um, But no, I mean, 2017, we saw that we had a once in a generation defense. Um, Our offensive line was pretty good. Uh, Leonard Fournette was, uh, he was okay. He was taking what the offensive line and the, you know, was giving him and um, you know, Blake Bortles was bad, but not, he, he was serviceable, I, I would say, which is mm-hmm. like elite level Blake Bortles. Um, and if it weren't for, honestly, I thought Blake kind of balled out in the, in the 2017 AFC title, like the second half that they took the ball out of his hands. And yeah. Tried they, lim- to, they limited him that game. Like it was yeah. like, we don't want Blake to lose. And so now we're going to lose this game, but he yeah. was great that first half. And he was, yeah. he was, I mean, and the coaches, honestly, the coaches drew up a great game plan. They had like crossing routes. They had timing patterns. Mm-hmm. They had Corey Grant, like, you know, running wild, like speedy Gonzalez. Like it was, it was, a, I thought we were going, you know, even after that crappy AJ Boye. Uh, oh yeah. On pass interference call. But you know, I thought 2018, I was like, you know, hey, I, as long as we can keep the defense together, it's not going to be the same, but, you know, we, we can still do this. And then, you know, it just, oh, my God, it just, it, it Hindenburg, like, on us. And um, and then, yeah, so my expectations going into 2019, I was like, you know what, we have largely the same defense. Like, we were missing a couple of, like, key guys, but I was like, we still got Calais, we still got Jalen, like, we still got... AJ, like we, we can, we can still do this and make a run at it if we have a serviceable quarterback, which is what mm-hmm. I thought we had in Nick Foles. Um, and instead we got like a dozen plays in and he like shatters his collarbone. And I was like, okay, well there, there goes the season, like first touchdown drive of the, the season, like the year's over. Um, and Minshew came in and, and was a ton of fun to watch. Like we knew we weren't going to win the chiefs game, but he's still, you know, kept scoring like he was playing NFL blitz and it was, it was, we knew when Gardner was in there, we're like, we're not, we're not going to get a winning record. We're not going to the playoffs, but let's see what we have in Gardner. He's got eight games until Nick Foles comes back. Um, But going into that season, 
I had, I think, higher hopes than a lot of people at Big Cat Country and like people who wrote like at other blogs and like, or, you know, beat reporters. Like I, I expect, I was like, you know what, with a serviceable, serviceable quarterback, I think we can have a winning record. I think we can sneak into a wild card spot. Couldn't have been more wrong. Um, Nick Foles like imploded, run defense imploded, locker room imploded. Um, Tom Coughlin, you know, just decided to cause a rift in the locker room greater, you know, bigger than our freaking scoreboards. Like it, <laughs> it was not a, it was not a fun season. Um, so I, I was sorely disappointed and, and very, very wrong, but I had, I think higher hopes than a lot of people and, uh, proven wrong. So go Jaguars. Yeah. I, I picked the Jags to win the division last year. Cause I was like, well, I think it's me a top five pass defense again. Uh, I really like the offensive line and I thought Foles in like a spread passing attack with, you know, Marky Slee and Chris Conley and Westbrook. And like, I thought it worked, like it made sense on paper and you know, Foles broke his collarbone nine minutes and 29 seconds in week one on that pass to DJ Chark, like you mentioned. And uh, like after that kind of was over, but like they still hung around. It wasn't until that last game against Houston in London where they got blown out in that game where like Garden Minshew just threw in the flag into the quarters defense and, uh, and it seemed like they were trying to sabotage him in a way that game so they could start Nick Foles after the bye in a weird way. And after that game, Jackson went two and six and in the season like that. Um, but like last year, one of the questions I have for you is the Jalen Ramsey episode that happened last year. Like, what did you make of the Jalen Ramsey trade? Was he traded just because he didn't want to play for Jackson with Tom Coughlin anymore? And then also, were you happy with what they received in the Ramsey trade by getting two first round picks from the Los Angeles Rams? Yeah, with... With Jalen Ramsey, he he was on ES. I think it was ESPN shortly after he went to Los Angeles, and he was he was pretty candid in describing what went down. Um, it was actually at the Houston game um, mm-hmm. where some unidentified uh, members of the front office, uh, you know, sat him down and and kind of told him what's what in what Ramsey described as you know, unprofessional. And, um, I think, I think, I think that caused, that caused a big, um, that was a big problem to Jalen. I don't think he wanted to stay here long-term even before that, but I thought, I thought it was salvageable before then. And then after that Houston game, um, you know, he, he, he had that back injury that, that kind of hobbled him for a couple of weeks. And, for me, I was thinking, okay, he's not going to be here long term. Um, he's coming towards the end of his rookie contract. Let's try and get something for him. Like, don't just let him leave and and we'll get like a third round comp pick. So when Los Angeles came and said, yeah, we'll give you two first round picks, I thought it was kind of a no brainer mm-hmm. for Dave Caldwell. It's like, yeah, you you if it's not a quarterback and someone's giving you two first round draft picks, like you take it. Like you just you just take it. Um, and I was, I was actually thinking because we were talking about, um, who was it that was just traded for two first round picks? Uh, Uh, Jamal Adams. Yeah. Jamal Adams. And the conversation was who's been like, who's what non quarterbacks have been traded for two first round picks like Khalil Mack, Jamal Adams, Jalen Ramsey, Laramie Tunsil. Yeah. Laramie Tunsil. I mean, you could probably count on two hands the players 
you know, that you can think of that have been traded for two first round picks. So it's like, as a general manager, I think you just say, all right, he's not going to stay here long term. Just take it, um, you know, run with it, especially with the Rams who, I mean, they're they're going to get another, you know, probably 15 or 16 overall mm-hmm. draft pick this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just sort of how I how I thought of the Jalen Ramsey thing was he's not going to stay here. Just get what you can get. And and we did. That makes sense. And and it's important to like think about that pick and come to the scope of the 2020 Jackson Jaguars because of the extra pick. They have the opportunity to even if they finish like fifth or so to bundle two first round picks if Minshew doesn't work out to move up in the draft and you'll grab a quarterback at, you know, one or two overall if it if it's required for them to even do that. Um, so last season, Minshew, he completed 60 percent of his passes. He threw 21 touchdowns and six interceptions, and he finished 20th net yards per attempt and 22nd DVOA and DYAR. Um, so do you think Jacksonville found a future starting quarterback in the sixth round pick of the NFL draft uh, with Gardner Minshew? No clue. Like, I, <laughs> I have I have zero idea because, every, like, this wasn't just, a, you know, like, we've got Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um you know, uh, uh, sitting back there and, and he'll be serviceable for like a year or two. And, and we're just, you know, throwing darts mm-hmm. at, at day three picks. It's like, we brought in a guy and we paid him close to a hundred million dollars to come here. Like we rolled out the red carpet. Like we, he was the guy, there was no competition. Um, and so, and Doug Marone, Doug Marone even alluded to this. He was talking about how 2019 has made him think of preseasons and training camp reps differently for the future. Interesting. Uh, Because he was like, I mean, yeah, Nick Foles, like he gets every practice rep I can give him. Like if Gardner Minshew wants to throw with the punter, yeah, I mean, he could do that. But like Nick Foles is going to get the work. And when he saw Nick Foles go down uh, and, and he had to put Gardner in there and he saw Gardner just, you know, responding with, you know, knee jerk athleticism and just, you know, uh, yeah, DJ Sharks open like 40 yards downfield. Let me see if I can get it there. Oh, I did. Awesome. Like, let's go. Um, <laughs> when he saw that Gardner had like was responding well to actual live game reps, he was like, I should really do this whole like quarterback thing differently in the preseason. So I, I have zero expectations for for Gardner Minshew, like good or bad. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of key things you can you can take away from last season. Like the fact that he didn't throw a lot of interceptions. I think he threw like three interceptions last year. Um, he, he, he's a little conservative at times. He doesn't throw well, very, you know, he doesn't throw very well over the middle. Um, if you kind of force him, yeah. like if the ends are, are kind of doing that pincer move and, and, and forcing him into the pocket, like, like the saints game last year, um, he's, he's going to struggle. So there are definite things he needs to work on and his fumbles. I mean, my God, he, he had, I think at 13 last year. Yeah, it was, I mean, Blake Bortles never had 13 fumbles. Um, but like, no Gardner, I mean, there, there are things he needs to work on. There are things he does well. Um, but in terms of being a franchise quarterback, he's never had an off season where he's the guy. Mm -hmm. So this off season, he's the guy. Um, and we'll see how he responds with, you know, months of lead up an entire training camp, an entire preseason, you know, like the whole shebang Mm -hmm. we'll see. And so how he does this year, I think will indicate how, you know, what the Jaguars do moving forward. Unfortunately, they don't have, you know, multiple seasons to really 
you know, test whether their rookie quarterback is the guy or not. They have one because this is the year where they have two first round picks to package, like you said. Um, but I, I think they'll have enough info to make that decision at the end of this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I really was, I kind of admired by how Minshew played last year, you know, considering everything to go from you being a six round pick to being thrusted in there after, you know, Foles breaks, breaks his collarbone and a play like, you know, he had success last year. I think two things I really liked about him were one, he throws the ball downfield and he was one of the best deep throwers in football last year, um, which was surprising considering he's not like a guy of like really great arm strength at all. And also helps having DJ Chark down there. I think he completed 17 passes to him over 15 yards. And the second thing is like, I really like his mobility in the pocket where like that touchdown against Denver on Armstead in the corner of the end zone where he breaks three tackles in the pocket and steps up. And it was kind of like Deshaun Watson ish, you know, where, uh, he kind of makes something happen, happen on nothing. And at the same time, like, I think the short-term, the short-passing offense isn't really there. I don't know if that will ever get better. And then the pocket, you know, presence can get better. He ran to a bunch of sacks. They probably didn't need to take as well, too. But overall, like, considering the situation, I really, you know, enjoyed what I saw out of him. And the weird thing about the Minshew decision, too, for Jacksonville is that he has a cap of only $700,000 this year. And so it's like if he's, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick caliber quarterback, you know, like, and you're only paying him $700,000 a year and you can get, you know, serviceable play. Is that something that you want to keep for, you know, two years or so and make the, and have a chance to make the postseason with where you can spend, you know, $30 million other parts of the roster as well too. And so it's going to be interesting to see like what happens with him. I don't, I don't see him in shoes being like some cast off that you never hear from again. I think at minimal, he should, he, uh, he reminds me a lot of Fitzpatrick just with the way he plays and, uh, kind of some of the mistakes he makes as well too, and so I think like at minimum he'll be somebody who will you know bounce around the league if it doesn't work out in Jacksonville. So so let me ask you a question. Like talking about rookie quarterbacks, um, what with Deshaun, what were some of like the mistakes or his failings his rookie year that you were really like hoping he would fix, and what are those things that he did fix year two, and that year two you were like, man, he still needs to get better at that. It's, it's weird with Deshaun because I never felt like watching him, he really needed to get better at all with anything. I It's kind of been more feeling like the offense needs to get better at making things you know easier for him, you know? And like the statistics show, like, you know, he takes too many sacks, he holds onto the ball too long. Uh, you know, sometimes he tries to make too many plays happen, but then you're like, yeah, there's no check down options. And yeah. <laughs> they're the pass, you know, the, the, uh, the pass protections going the wrong way and the running back here misses a block. And then it's like, oh, so you don't, you're upset that he tried to make something happen this play, but you beat Oakland the week before. Cause he did exactly that guy kicked in the eye. You beat Buffalo <laughs> in the wild card around the playoffs because he took two hits at the same time, spun out, and dumped off the tail on Jones. But now all of a sudden, you don't like because he had a fumble against Baltimore, you know? And so it's like all the things against him, I think, are more about the offense itself. And I never, mm-hmm. like, you know, watching Deshaun Kai immediately, there wasn't really any uh, anything I felt like he had improved on anything that he needed to. I feel like it was far and away from something that I could describe from, you know, the basement I live in, you know? That's fair. Yeah, I mean, Gardner Minshew is, Gardner Minshew is no... Deshaun Watson like I I know that and they're obviously a guy you pick in the sixth round sixth round is going to have more glaring weaknesses and and blind spots than than a Deshaun um but yeah okay that's interesting well do you think Minshew's a good because my biggest concern with Minshew this year is playing Jay Gruden's offense because 
Jay likes to run that professional West Coast offense, has a lot of short, quick passes, and I don't really see Minch as that type of player at all. You know, like I like him more when he's throwing the ball downfield. I think Jacksonville can run a lot more play action. They were 31st in the league behind only, um, ahead of only Pittsburgh and most play, or at least male play action passes used last year. And uh, I just have concerns if they try to do like a lot of quick pick and pop sort of stuff. And because again, like Minchu, everything kind of less than 10 yards, you kind of struggle with, you know? Well, um, to a degree, yes, Minshew does struggle with that. Um, but he, there, there were a lot of timing routes. Like it, it was in that week one game against the Chiefs where I think it was his first or second drive. It was like third and six, third and seven. There was a timing route to Chris Conley. And I was like, has this guy ever run this play in practice? Like <laughs> it had to just be like a piece of paper that he and Conley like had looked at one time and been like, all right, mm-hmm. this is what you're supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And he was connecting on, on quite a few of those. Um, and so while he does make mistakes, I don't think it was because he's just not that kind of quarterback. I think it was because, Oh, he's, you know, the understudy that is now thrust yeah. into the role because the, the lead got sick in the first act. So like, I, and another thing is you, you don't expect this from a guy like Minshew, like you expect Minshew to like come off the bench, like reeking of Jack Daniels and cigarettes. Like you don't expect him to be this cerebral guy, this quick learner, mm-hmm. this inquisitive dude, but that's how Marone and his teammates describe him. They describe him as like a guy that, has a really, really, really good head on his shoulders, like, and not an intellectual, but he's a critical thinker and he's got a good memory. Um, and, and he's a smart dude. And so his persona kind of gives off that he's just this like reckless, you know, like, like he's, he's like a satanic Tim Tebow or something like that. (laughs) But like, he's, he's not, he's, he's a really smart dude. And I think a lot of the reason he, he was so reliant on his athleticism last year is just, he was like, okay, I've never run this play in practice. Before. Yeah, yeah. What do I do? Um, so I, I, I don't think he'll. I, I don't know if he'll thrive in Jay Gruden's offense, but I do like the fact that Jay Gruden um, will allow his quarterbacks to be more mobile than mm-hmm. I think offensive coordinators past that we've had, and that probably should have been Blake Bortles should have been Josh Allen before he was Josh. You know, before Josh yeah, Allen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how he fits in, but, um, I, I have, I have some hope for Jay Gruden's offense and, and Minshew, um, meshing well. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I, I mean, I'm happy to hear that. Cause I would hate for this whole Minshew thing not to work out because, you know, Jay, Jay Gruden is trying to, you know, fit his offense or fit Minshew in his offense and try to fit some things around him for it. The one thing I'm excited for though, it, for Gruden's offense is he does create like a lot of yards after the catch opportunities. And D.D. Westbrook's great at that. Chris Conley's great at that. Uh, Cole has is okay at it. And like Chark's okay. Like Chark's not like a really yards after the catch guy, but second round pick, LaVisca Chanel's a really great yards after the catch guy. And so I, I think, you know, the wide receiver group can be the strength of this offense this year. Uh, do you agree with that idea? I think the wide receiver group is pretty underrated around the league. The Jaguars receivers group, I think is, I think that the way that they've assembled um, this group, um, DJ Chark is um, besides a Rob, um, the best receiver we've, we've had in mm-hmm. years. Um, 
you know, Didi and Marcus Lee, like, I mean, th- those are just your wide receiver, three, four, five guys. Like, um, LaVisca or LaVisca, I still have not learned how to pronounce it. I don't know how name. to say it. <laughs> All right. Um, but I think he can be something really, really special. You're right. He is a yards after catch guy. But I, I don't think there's a receiver that is going to rely on Jay Gruden's creativity to produce more than him. Because if you look at, like, what – he was doing in college. I mean, he was all over the place. He played like, you know, a certain, uh, a portion of his snaps outside. He played slot. He played running back. He was lining up in the wildcat. Like he has a lot to bring and he's, and he's a solid receiver just on, on his own merits. But if Jay Gruden can kind of get, if he can get creative and he can start to do what I think is a weakness of NFL coaches and coordinators, which is to, to form their system around the players instead of vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think if Jay Gruden can, can do that and learn from him, I think that, I think that this receivers group can be something special. If Gruden doesn't, and he just sees LaVisca as like, you know, just another outside guy or a, a, a slot guy, you know, and he just sort of pigeonholes him. I don't think this receivers group is going to be going to be very good. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to see some LaVisca Fournette, you know, backfield action and <laughs> have them run the option together with Andrew Norwell pulling, blocking nobody, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to see Andrew Norwell, like, like absolutely whiffing at uh, uh, a safety or a cornerback that that would be a lot of fun. That's exactly yeah. what, what my heart needs at, at 34 years old. Yeah. I love that stretch power. They like to run with Norwell pulling on the alley. It's like, I don't even know what you're even doing anymore uh, with this guy here. But I, I want to talk about Chark, I guess, real fast because I think a couple wide receivers have planned themselves as wide receivers number ones last year. You know, Chark was one. Corlin Sutton was another one. Devontae Parker was another one. Uh, McLaurin in Washington was another one where these guys just in like year one, year two, and you know, even like year four after kind of having some rough spots in their career, um, really kind of emerged as being a, a receiver that can carry an offense on their own. And Chark was one of those. And Chark went from like having a rookie year where he had some flashes down the sideline with some go up and get it catches, but nothing like really all that sustainable. And so, like, where did this come from last year? Did you, did anybody really see this coming out of Jacksonville for Chark to have this wide receiver number one sort of year he had last season? Um, the only thing I was encouraged about after Chark's uh, rookie season is that our receivers coach, Keenan McCardell, was still, like, super excited about him. Um, Keenan McCardell, for listeners who who don't know, and I feel really old, even though... I'm like, this was, this was only like 25 years ago. And it's like, <laughs> that's a long time ago, Ryan. That's a lot um, longer than most people have been alive. Yeah, I know. God. Uh, but when the Jaguars first started, uh, they had, they had a killer, uh, receiving core. Um, mm-hmm. they had Jimmy Smith, which I think most anyone knows young or old, but they also had Keaton McCardell who, um, you know, played the end of his career with Tampa Bay and Washington and San Diego. But I mean, he, he actually has more yards and I think catches uh, than Jimmy Smith career. Um, he's an incredibly accomplished wide receiver. He's a fan favorite in Jacksonville and Doug Marone hired him to be the receivers coach. And um, he's gotten quite a bit out of um, the receivers in his couple of years here. When Chark was drafted, Keenan was like super excited. He was like, that's my guy. You know, that's my guy. And um, after his rookie season, like Keenan was, was you could 
in the few sort of press conferences he had, like, or the sound bites that he had, he was talking about Chark like he had, you know, gotten 1,200 yards his rookie season. He was just, like, so pumped for the guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, whereas you can look at the box score and be like, yeah, you know, where, where did Chark get, you know, that extra 900 yards between his rookie season and his, and his year two? Um, I think McCardell knew it, knew it all along. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think you can really fault anyone on the offensive side of the ball for a bad, uh, 2018. I mean, that, that season was just yeah. abysmal. Like we, we, Cody Kessler came in like before Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> and so it's like when you have, when, when you have like a quarterback controversy, and on the one side is Blake Bortles and the other side is Cody Kessler. It's like, I mean, who, who's going to be good. Yeah. It's like, it's like a bad omen, like in a movie, like a, it's yeah. like a blood red moon, you know, Cody Kessler before Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know, I didn't know McCardle was the wide receivers coach there. I remember watching him when I was like, you know, seven or eight or whatever in Jacksonville and always really liking him. And I remember him watching him play more than Jimmy Smith, but I just remember Smith was really good mad and was bald. And McCardell yeah. was the one because McCardell played in Tampa Bay and I think he won a championship with them with yeah. him and Joe and Jared Vicious. And so I remember McCardell a lot more. I'm surprised that I didn't know he was the head, the wide receivers coach there. One of the things I really like about Chark is that he plays in the slot and the outside. So like 50, according to the football outsiders, Almanac, half of his snaps came in the slot, half of them came outside. And that slot fade that they throw to him is like the, the slot fade is my favorite route in general. And I think Chark runs one of the best ones in the league. And it's a lot of fun watching uh, Minshew throw that back shoulder to him and, and how he adjusts to it. And then even like, you know, whenever he leads into the pylon, um, like his body control and his ability to to take advantage of cornerbacks, their heads turned, you know, is, is really like surprising on both Chark's and Minshew's in last year. Yeah, I mean, it, the offensive coordinators have not been very good um, as of late in Jacksonville. I mean, not neither have the, you know, the quarterbacks or the offense in general. So it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing. But um, but last year, I thought they did a good job of finding mismatches with Chark mm -hmm. and getting him, you know, on that third cornerback on that slot cornerback and just saying, like, you know, hey, Chark, just just beat this guy, you know. Um, so I've speaking of receivers, I got a question for you, because, like, you know, I mean, you shipped off DeAndre Hopkins for like a six pack. I, of beer. I didn't. I didn't ship him off. You, you guys, I'm <laughs> like the royal you. Yeah, um, yeah. So that bad you're, man did it. You're, yeah, that, that bad man shipped off DeAndre Hopkins um, for a six pack of beer and a, and a ham sandwich. Like, what? What is y'all's receivers uh, group looking like next year? I just like. I mean, I don't know. It's the idea that they're fast, and that's really it. You know. So like, Fuller hasn't played. I think more than 10 games in a season and he's incredible when he plays, but even like in the games he does play, he'll be out there for two series and then he's just on the sideline looking sad, you know, like a puppy dog in a, in a, in like a, a, a puppy mill shelter, you know, and then you have Kenny Stills, who's, you know, very good, you number three wide receiver and, you know, he can be an acceptable number two receiver, but you don't want him really in that role. You want him against like number three, number four cornerbacks. They yeah. trade for Brandon cooks with that one, with the second round pick they got from, Arizona or no with the second round pick that they had they got Brandon Cooks and like Cooks has had five concussions he was completely absent last year I think with Cooks you'll see him like run straight down the field but you probably won't see the same jet sweeps and little screens and screen passes just trying to save a number of hits he has and then they have like six tight ends who knows what's going to happen there 
And then David Johnson, you know, hypothetically is a good receiver whenever he's going up against like Nick Vigil and the worst linebackers in the NFL, but against good ones, I don't see that same production happening. And everything about Johnson too, is that he's playing an offense that's only used running backs in one way. Like Lamar Miller went from being one of the most interesting assigned backs in the league to gain 260 carries in Houston and gain 20 pounds and you know, turning into Carlos Hyde, you know, our worst version of Carlos Hyde. And so that's how they've used their running backs all the time. And his backup is Duke Johnson, who you know, is like a, a third down you know, receiving back too. So I really have no idea how it's going to play out. I think they want to be like the Chiefs, but they forgot. The Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, who's pretty much the same level of receiver as DeAndre Hopkins is. And two, like Tyreek Hill's transcendent. You know, there's not another sp- speed threat really out there like him. Like you can say, like, oh, well, we have Brandon Cooks, but you know, Kel- I mean, uh, Hill and Cooks aren't in the same neighborhood to play. Like Hill's in a category of his own, you know. Well, and the Chiefs have Andy Reid, and yeah. um, and that offensive coordinator, I forget his name last yeah, year. Enemy. Like, I mean, the I guys- have a poster of him in my bathroom, you know. <laughs> so whenever everyone's like, oh, who do you want to be the head coach of the Texans that you don't Bill O'Brien? I just point to the post in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> but he's, I mean, the guy, the guy is just like a, a, a savant when it comes to um, designing his offense around the strengths of his players. Like if he, if he wasn't in Kansas city or if Kansas city's personnel looked different, the offense would look different. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the guy just maximizes the strengths of every single position, every single player on that side of the ball. And it's, I mean, I was watching them just like absolutely murder the Jaguars. And you just, after like the third touchdown, they cut away to like, it was like AJ Boye, like looking at Trey Herndon or, or AJ Boye looking at Jalen Ramsey and just being like, what, what do we do? Like, what do we do about like this? You know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, you, Houston just certainly does not have the personnel, but they also don't have the creativity and, and the, uh, the ability to adapt to their players. So. Yeah, and I mean, this idea, like, if they want to make Watson's downfield ability as a strength of this offense so it carries it, I mean, it could work, but until it happens, I don't believe it happening. Like, the yeah. two interesting things they did last year is run deep crossers on play action and then run this, like, tight end zone read that beat Kansas City, but then stopped working after that. Like, Baltimore, like, they ran that play, like, five times this Baltimore, they got negative seven yards, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and they tried running against the Bills in the playoffs. It didn't work because everybody had already seen it, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun though. Uh, so for Jacksonville's offensive line, I know we mentioned Andrew Norwell. I wrote like, I accidentally wrote like 4,000 words in a season preview in the Jaguars. And uh, I described him as a walrus and I don't know what happened between him and Carolina and him and Jacksonville. I think he just looks slower and heavier. Um, what's kind of been like, what's been up with Norwell since he signed with Jacksonville? Um, yeah, I mean, I, Personally, I wish I wish he was a walrus because then at least a walrus just sits still and like gets in the way. Like <laughs> Norwell actively like goes the wrong way. Um, no, I I think that with Norwell coming, I I think you have, you know, he's in a new place. He's in a worse offense with fewer, if any, skill players, uh, like good skill players. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, offensive linemen are going to look better. And it's going to be an easier job for them when you have Cam Newton throwing to Christian McCaffrey like 300 times a year. Um, And so with Norwell coming in, it's like, okay, he's got to block a little bit longer. Okay, he's he's um, he's playing from behind a little bit more. He, you know, 
He's playing next to Jeremy Parnell one he's, season. <laughs> he's playing next. Well, no, he he was uh, uh, Norwell's the left guard. Jeremy Parnell's right tackle. So he. Oh yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. He was playing next to. Uh, he's playing next to Cam Robinson. Yeah, he's playing next to Cam Robinson, who got he got injured. So it's just you know, I mean, again, 2018 season just abysmal. Um, and then last year it was just he wasn't good enough. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we had Tony Baselli, who, you know, Texans great Tony Baselli, um, uh, number one pick in the expansion draft of 2002. Uh, Tony Baselli went to bat for Andrew Newell on local radio like every week, and after a while it was like, bro, you got to stop. Like, we can, <laughs> like we're watching the same game you are, man. Yeah, like, the guy, it's okay the guy, to say that you're wrong about it. The guy know? literally has his back to the Texans defender sacking Gardner Minshew at this moment. Like, you can, you know, it just, it ain't good, man. Um, so I, I never want to blame the player totally. Um, I think it's a team sport, you know, 11 guys. Um, so there, there's part of that, but yeah, I mean, he, he took a, he took a short drive off of the long cliff um, when he got here. And, and I think I was actually surprised that we weren't able to move him. You know, we weren't able to trade him this year. Um, I I thought we would, and I thought we would grab a guy um, in this year's draft. But, you know, it looks like we we had our priorities elsewhere. But um, I don't know what's up with Norwell. He stays. He's not not that good. Yeah, it's been – because he was good in Carolina. He was, you know, infamous in, like, 2017 because he didn't give up a pressure according to PFF. And I found a pressure he gave up because that was the year Houston was looking at signing a guard, and they got Zach Fulton, who – Became worse in Houston than he was in Kansas City, of course. Uh, I do love Juwan Taylor, though. Like, I really wanted Houston draft to play right tackle. And, you know, one of the things that happened with Houston that draft was they got Tyus Howard and Max Sharping, who are both good at right tackle and left guard last year in the rookie spots. But one was drafted to play left tackle, couldn't do that. The other was drafted to play right tackle, couldn't do that. And so, let, you know, it kind of had a cascading effect that led to the Tyus Howard trade. But I really liked watching Juwan Taylor play this past year. And, you know, he had, I think, um, 15 penalties. And he held a little bit too often, but he was really strong and matched strength with guys like J.J. Watt and Cam Jordan and, you know, played pretty well against Von Miller, too, as well. And uh, I really enjoyed watching him play, you know, last year, too. So I think Jacksonville's offensive line should at least be average again this year. Yeah, I mean, we at Big Cat Country, um, I read a weekly article where we just uh, we look at the all 22 for like every time there's a sack. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm looking here at. Uh, on the year, I mean, Jawan was responsible by my count, like for eight sacks, um, second only to Gardner, who was responsible for a, a 11 of them. So, I mean, and I'm no expert. I mean, it, it could be one, two, three sacks either way. But but I mean, what happened with Jawan is just early in the season, he was matched up against some like very, very good. Yeah, rushers. like the Saints game especially was was tough for him. Um, that game was weird, too, because I felt like he played well that first half. And then the second half, like Cam Jordan's like, OK, I've had enough of this. And so he just and he set really deep in the pocket. And so he just took those deep sets and just threw them, you know, a yard backwards and was able to get hold of Minshew three times like that. Right. No, I mean, what happened was he did play well, but that's the that's the curse of the offensive lineman is 
you know, you got 50 plays and you can play well for 47 of them. Mm -hmm. And you, and then you give up a tackle for a loss and two sacks on the other three plays. And it's like, you didn't have a very good game. And it's, and, and, and in reality, that's what it is. I mean, if, if you give up two sacks and a couple of tackles for a loss on a game, like you did not have a very good game. And, and that's kind of what happened with, um, in that saints game. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Cam Jordan, like it was like, he just, his brain was an hour and a half late to the game. And he came in in the second half and was like, Oh wait, I'm Cam Jordan. Like, <laughs> I, I can do this. Like who I'm, I I'm Cam Jordan. That's Jawan Taylor. I can, we can win this game. And it's 14 seven right now. Well, exactly. And that's another thing is like Jacksonville never pulled away. They were always like tied or like three points down, like the entire game. If they had pulled away, like, Jawan Taylor would not have had that bad of a game. But again, that was the game where I thought Sean Payton had a really good um, defensive game plan, which was we're going to do the pincer move. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually not going to go for the kill and allow Gardner to like run around. We're going to contain him in the pocket and we're going to force him to be an actual NFL quarterback. And I mean, it, it didn't look very good. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last player in offense we need to talk about is Leonard Fournette, of course. And, uh, this was one of our listener questions from not from at Smith Grandma, and he asked Leonard Fournette over under 1,350 yards rushing this year. 1,350 yards. Yeah, yeah. I think 1126 last season. No, no. Well, he was on pace last year to do like some damage, um, and then you know the run defense fell apart. They were always having to pass. Um, and he wasn't able to do what what he needed to do. But I I no, I, I think it's an under on 1350 because you look at what Doug Marone did in that season finale um, with playing Reichwell Armstead, who's the backup running back. Um, they saw that this offense can be just as functional, if not more functional, uh, with Reichwell in there. Is that to say Reichwell Armstead is a better running back than Leonard Fournette? Probably not. But it is to say that it doesn't depend on Leonard to score points. Mm-hmm. You add in the fact that they signed um, Chris Thompson from Washington, um, and who's like a Jay Gruden, you know, fan favorite. I don't think Leonard is going to be handling as much of the workload. I think he had like what ninety. I think it was like 90 plus percent of offensive snaps last year or before the season finale, he had 90 plus percent of offensive snaps. Um, yeah, I'm, and, I'm looking at the stats here. He had 265 rushes last year. Armstead had 35. Exactly. Uh, Ozigbo had nine and DD Westbrook had five and Minch had 54 carries. So it's like, I mean, I guess I could do the math, but I don't really want to. <laughs> We go. Let's go ninety percent. That sounds good. Well, and you look at Reichwell, um, Armstead. Like of those thirty-five carries, like how many of them were in weeks uh, seventeen? Um, I think that I think he had like fifteen carries or something like that. Fifty. Like he probably had about half of his season mm-hmm. carries in the season finale alone. So up to that point, he probably had fifteen or twenty. So Leonard was like like you want to talk about a bell cow running back. Like he was a bell cow running back. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to be that this year. And so just for lack of opportunity, I don't think he gets, you know, even close to 1,350 yards. Yeah. I'm, I would hope he, I mean, it's always better to not, you know, like completely just have one back, you know, who, who controls the entire offense. I, 
Jay Green typically runs his offense like that. However, mm-hmm. Fournette's case, they don't. And like, it's better to have your running back get 20 carries and it's fresh every carry than get 30 and that sort of thing. Like the idea of it's nice, but it's not very nice when it's September and, and it's hot in Jacksonville, you know? It's nice in Madden. Like that's yeah, yeah. nice. Like, but it's not nice in real life where like people actually get tired or like they get a sprain or something like that, you know? Yeah. The, uh, the other listener question he had as well too, he asked if, Gardner Minshew will start every game this season, barring injury. So do you think Minshew's going to start the full 16 games if he doesn't get injured this year? Or can we see some Mike Glennon action in Jacksonville this season? Uh, I won't be seeing any Mike Glennon action. Like, <laughs> he might be taking snaps, but I won't be there to watch it. Uh, <laughs> I think, yes, I think Gardner Minshew, just for this, the, the fact that like this coaching staff and this front office, like, have to see every single snap they can from Gardner. Um, I don't, I think they're only going to take him out when it's absolutely necessary. Like, even if they're like, Oh, and 10, it's like, you know, Hey, Gardner's our guy. Like, what are they going to do? Like they, Oh, we want to get some film on Mike Glennon. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, we want to get some film on like Josh Dobbs. Like, no, like Mike Glennon is big bird. And like Josh Dobbs is a literal astronaut. Like you don't need <laughs> film on these guys. Like, you need film on Gardner Minshew to make the best uh, possible decision going into the draft next year. And so, and he's, I mean, Gardner's like a pretty durable dude. Like he would have mm-hmm. started all 16 games if it wasn't for Tom Coughlin. You know, this is all uh, hearsay and like allegedly, but like, I mean, I think Tom Coughlin stronghanded that decision to put Nick Foles back in. Um mm-hmm. And I think if it were up to Doug Marone solely, he would he would have kept Gardner in. Um, Gardner could have played 16 games as a rookie with zero prep in the training in, in training camp in preseason. So who you know until he can't do that, like yeah, he can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I uh, it was fun. Well, one of the things about Minshew too that was like I guess interesting was like how like again like we talked about earlier like how they went through all that and for how how well he played you considering and football outsiders interesting stat that from weeks two through nine his dvoa was 0.2 percent and then from weeks 13 on which is after they benched Foles for him again after Foles was you know one of the worst quarterbacks in the league against indianapolis and uh, i can't remember who else he played but they went 0 and three during that time minch's dvo is negative 20 percent and so like, after he benched, it seems like maybe he was like, well, you know, who cares? I've kind of lost this for the rest of the year and had to kind of quickly become the starting quarterback again after that point. And, you know, they did beat Oakland, but he didn't play as well down the stretch as he did in the first part of the year, too. I think Minshew, though, is kind of like a um, he's kind of like a, like almost like a basketball player, like in terms of once he gets in a rhythm, he's better. And mm-hmm. when you disrupt that rhythm, he's not going to be as good. Like you can't just like start stop him. Um, I think I think people are like that in general, but yeah, but Gardner more so is like that. And so I don't. I think I mean from Jacksonville, like Gardner was like all in those three weeks where Nick Foles was just bombing. Like Gardner was like, I'm just I'm here to make the Jaguars better. Um, he he was intense, dude. Like his press conferences, like he was not joking around, just kind of being like you know, like he was when he was starting, he was more relaxed when he was starting. Yeah. Um, when he wasn't starting, he was like, he was keyed in. He was like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. 
you know, and I'm here to be the best Gardner Minshew I can be. The guy, he was talking about himself in third person. Like, that's how you know a dude is locked in when he's talking about himself in third person. So, like, yeah, he wasn't lackadaisical uh, about it. He he wanted to be that guy, and I I think his bad performance down the stretch was because he was benched. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a, it's a hard mental thing to go from, you know, nothing to something after having it for a while, you know. Yeah. And then, and it'd be playing pretty well too, and be four and five, and get benched despite playing well at the beginning part of the season. I'm sure it's frustrating for him. Uh, so defensively, you know, we mentioned that 2017 earlier, or 2017 team earlier, and it does seem like Jacksonville gets to have one really good team every decade. You know, they get that, <laughs> and then we get to see them for one year, and they disappear again for the next nine years. But yeah. uh, you know, that whole defense is pretty much gone now. Ramsey was traded, Calais Campbell was traded for a fifth round pick, AJ Boye was traded for a fourth round pick. Telvin Smith, you know, kind of sort of retired. Um, Malik Jackson signed with Philadelphia. Marcel Darius, they have his option picked up. But, you know, Jacksonville, you said we may bring him back on a cheaper contract. Who knows? Dante Fowler Jr. is trading Los Angeles. Barry Church retired. Tayshawn Gibson's in Chicago. And Yank Ngakwe is now on the trade block. Uh, you know, which one of these departures hurts the most? And, you know, of course, Ngakwe is still on the team. But of all these guys that have left Jacksonville, which one kind of hurt the most for you as a fan? Um... I think even hmm. so if we're not counting in it's an easy Calais Campbell. Um, it's an easy Calais Campbell. I think Calais Campbell is the best free agent signing in franchise history. Um, and one of the best ones in the league in general last decade too. Oh, I mean, he set the franchise record for sacks. He had like, <laughs> I think 13 and a half sacks in, in 2017. Um, and and the guy, like, I mean, yeah, he's a defensive end, but, and he is used to getting sacks. I mean, he's he's used to getting double-digit sacks, but the way he was used here was kind of like, you know, almost like a hybrid, like, big end, mm-hmm. um, defensive end, edge rusher guy. He wasn't, you know, like your Von Miller, who's like, hey, when he's lined up to rush the passer, like, that is what he's doing. Um, or Unique Ngakwe, like, when he's lined up, like, he's not there to do anything except for you know, get to the quarterback. Um, Calais had a lot of sacks where, yeah, you could say he was cleaning up, but if you're not in a position to clean up, you don't get the sack. And so he's holding, you know, his guy for four, five, six seconds, and then boom, like there's Tom Savage, like, you know, one, two, three, four times in the first half. So mm-hmm. um, Calais, I think not just the production, I thought he was washed up too at the, you know, the first couple of games of last year. I thought he was washed up. I was like, he's done. He's old. And then he went off against the Tennessee Titans on national television. And I was like, well, you know, lo- love to be wrong about my Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, Which and, is the, the best game in the AFC South every year is Titans, Jaguars, Thursday Night Football. We get it every year and every year I'm so excited for it. <laughs> it's just such a shit show. Like, it's just like when they inaugurated it, I think it was the introduction of like our our, our color rush. Uh, yeah. And like it was mustard that, like, yellow uniform. Oh God. Yeah. The, the kitty cat diarrhea yellow. Yeah. It was, Oh Jesus. So and, it's a shame because this year they're playing Miami on Thursday night football. Instead they're playing at Tennessee week two and they get to play Miami on Thursday night football. That sucks. It does suck. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, I think the world kind of looks forward to trolling uh, the Titans and Jaguars for like a good solid four days. Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I really think that that NFL media and like bloggers and fans just really love being like, Oh, there, there's our, you know, 
there's our Jaguars Titans car wreck. Like let's let's rubberneck our way this. The, it's these the best guys. rivalry in the AFC South <laughs> by far. Like it's my favorite one. And just like as being a bystander, just seeing you know what comes out of it, it's always fun on the internet to see Titans and Jaguars fans making fun of each other. And the game's always like really dumb and really exciting. Like last year, you know, Jackson goes a 14-0, and then a hurricane blows through, and Mariota can't really do anything at all after that. Right. Um, and then Gardner Minshew like has he gets his first win. Um, and he looked like legit good that game too. Yeah. His um, dad was in the stands. He kept yeah, showing his dad's him. in the stands. Oh God, that post game interview I almost forgot where he does like the, that's where that meme comes from. Like the finger gun oh, meme gotcha, and stuff gotcha. like that. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's always a shit show. Um, it's always entertaining. It's always like just, you know, very, very genuinely Duval. Um, th- those games are. So I, I look forward to them. I'm, I'm sad that we don't get another one. Um, uh, but yeah, it, in terms of your question, it's Calais Campbell. He, he was a veteran through and through. I, I don't put a lot of credence into, you know, having veterans as like a positive influence in the locker room is, is what's needed on this team. But like Calais inspired a lot of dudes. And when he left, like players were genuinely very, very mm-hmm. sad about it. Yeah, he. I mean, he would have been talked about like the way J.J. Watts talked about J.J. Watt was in the league. Like, he was the second best, like, interior, exterior rusher in the league whenever he was in Arizona and for that first year in Jacksonville, you know. Um, and he, I think he's going to be supremely underrated, you know, throughout, like, even after he retires. He may be a Hall of Famer. Who knows what will happen exactly there. But it'll be fun to watch him, you know, play in Baltimore as well, too. Uh, the next next question we have was asking about Yannick Ngakwe. So, does he play for the Jaguars this season? Because as of right now, the going into this offseason, you know, Colville said, you know, one of our biggest priorities is extending him. Yannick says, no, I'm not resigning here at all. They franchise tagged him. And now it's kind of like nobody's offering a first round pick for him, or maybe Jackson's holding out for two first round picks. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. So what's what's up with the Ngakwe situation? And do you think he plays any games for Jacksonville this year? Well, I, I don't think a team has offered a first round draft pick yet. Um, if they had, then things would be a lot more interesting. But to my knowledge, I don't think a first round draft pick has been, has been offered. Um, I have to rely on, so, uh, we have a beat reporter, Demetrius Harvey over at big cat country who, um, he's been in the locker room, you know, last year he was in the locker room. He talks to the players he's gotten to know him. Um, and there's a couple of other beat guys that I speak to. And all of them kind of have this understanding, um, you know, unique of one another that Ngakwe just is a really like principled dude. And when mm. he says like he wants to do something or he doesn't want to do something, he's going to do it or he's not going to do gotcha. it. And so like it, it's nothing football, you know, it's nothing like too terribly savvy. It's just literally like these guys being like, when this guy says he wants to do something or doesn't want to do something like he just, he follows through. And so that's really the only intuition I have that Ngakwe is, is he's not going to play like he's, he's, he's going to hold out. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I thought, you know, after reading some things and the way it kind of typically works, especially the Ramsey situation, the Fowler, or I guess just the Ramsey situation was that he played in Jacksonville for, you know, two or three weeks. Then all of a sudden you have, you know, maybe a team like, I don't know, maybe like the Titans or whatever, and they can't get a pass rush and they trade a first round pick, you know, for Ngakwe at that time because they're one and two or one and three and they need some sort of boost. 
But uh, but based on what you're saying, if that's the case, then you know I'll I'll go ahead and go with that for it. I, I will say though that if a team offers at least a first round draft pick, that's it. Um, that that might be it. If it's another you know Ramsey trade where the you know a Los Angeles Rams comes in and says, yeah, we'll give you two first rounders. I think Dave Caldwell, you know, yeah, immediately pulls the trigger. Yeah, he pulls the trigger immediately. Um, I think that Dave Caldwell. I hate to give him credit, but he's doing the smart thing. And he's like, listen, like the way the rules are set up, we have you over a barrel. You have to play for us. And if you hold out, it's you don't get that year accrued towards your journey mm-hmm. towards free agency. So if you hold out, all right, that's fine. We we hold the rights. And then next year is exactly like this one. Well, why do you think a team won't give a first round pick up for Ngakwe? Because it seems like a no brainer, you know? Like pass an edge position, he can pass rush as well as he he does as a premium position, and he's one of the best in the league at it. And that like chop rip he has, where he jumps all the way backwards, like that's one of the best pass rush moves in the game. And so I really don't know why a team who could use pass rush help, like like a Seattle just trade their first round picks, but even like Indy who trade a first round pick, or you know whoever, like I understand why he doesn't have the market that he should have. You know, I thought he was going to go to Indy, um, and. I don't know. I really have no explanation for why he hasn't been traded yet or not why he hasn't been traded, but like why a team hasn't stepped up and it's been leaked. Like, Hey, you know, we're offering a first and a third. Um, because I think, I think something like that, um, or a first and a player, um, I think that gets some consideration from Dave. I, I don't mm-hmm. think anything that's been offered has been considered by Dave seriously. I think the the most intriguing one was that um, a, you know reportedly there was a tr- a trade offer uh, involving a Pro Bowl player. Like that's what you know that <laughs> report said, and and the team said it's not at a, a position that 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 works for us. And so okay. you kind of look through and you're like. Well, who was in the Pro Bowl last year that like, like could conceivably be traded for Ngakwe, and, and it was uh, uh, Matt Judon for or Juden for uh, the Ravens. I think yeah. I, I, I think that's what the trade was, and it's like if that's the trade, then Caldwell should say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have I have zero idea. I'm lost, it, man. Yeah, it does make very much sense to me from in this perspective that we have here. Uh, how about David Johnson in the second round pick for Ngakwe? Is that would you accept that trade? No. Uh, well, Good damn. Enough. Well, it was worth the try. We don't um, need we don't need two uh, over the hill <laughs> running backs. Yeah, it's funny how Fournette already seems over the hill. He's only been in the league for yeah. You know, this is his fourth year coming up. Uh, the good news for Jackson was they drafted Josh Allen in the first round because Oakland was very dumb and had to be hipsters and draft Clyde and Farrell instead. And Josh Allen had 10 half sacks, 13 hits, and 29 pressures. And also, with the the first first-round pick they received in the Ramsey trade, they drafted Clavon Chase on from LSU. And so it does look like, like you know, even if they do train Gakwe, that seems like a cornerstone sort of pass rush, like out there on the edge. Even though Chase on hasn't played any snaps at all, but like his college film is really you know, pretty phenomenal. So it does seem like they do have some cornerstones there. Uh, with Josh Allen, with with Josh Allen and uh, and Chase on the edge, do you agree with that statement? How excited are you to how excited are you to watch these two players this year? So I'm not gonna lie, like I when they announced Chase on's name, I was like, who? Like even though I mean the guy played for LSU, like I should know who that is, but my immediate reaction was like, like 
excuse me. Now you go back and you watch the film and it's like, okay, he stands out on like, you know, highlight tapes and, and, and things like that. And he can play multiple positions. He's like really versatile. And if the Jaguars want to give some like three, four looks or mm-hmm. they want, you know, chase on to like, you know, uh, play linebacker or something like that. Like, yeah, he, he can do it and he could succeed because that's what he did at LSU. But like, honestly, chase on is, is, is another guy just like Gardner. I'm like, I, I really have no expectations for this guy. Interesting. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know enough. Like Josh Allen coming out, Josh Allen, I was like, when, when he, when Oakland was on the clock and Josh Allen was right there, I was like, crap, like who we're going to really draft, we're going to draft, uh, Jawan Taylor, like at, you know, <laughs> in the, at the top of the first round, like yeah, sick. Yeah. And, um, and when they wanted to get, uh, when they wanted to get cute and, and Josh Allen was right there, I was like, okay, sick. Um, but yeah, I, I think chase on from, again, from, from the beat guys that are here, in Jacksonville, it seems as though he's the kind of guy that they have faith can be really good, but unlike Josh Allen, um, is not going to produce right away. He's Mm -hmm. the kind of guy that is going to need to learn the NFL game. He's going to need to learn like some specific, uh, positions at LSU. You could just put him out there because like, I mean, even, even if he's playing, you know, the best of the best, it's still a college team. Like it's still Alabama, like Alabama, like is great, but the Bengals, you know, or the Browns or, or what, you know, even, even poor teams are going to be a lot better competition than, than he's faced. And so Mm -hmm. I think that it's going to be really interesting if, if COVID can, can stave off for at least, you know, eight weeks or like 22 weeks. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, I have realistic expectations. Um, but yeah, if, 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 if we can see him for at least like maybe five, six, seven games, mm-hmm. I think that's what, what it, that is what it's going to take for us to see him start to like, get it and start to adjust and, and start to produce. I think those first few games, it's going to be tough. And, you know, we don't have a defensive coordinator in Todd Wash who likes to give um, rookie defensive ends or edge rushers or, or, or linebackers heavy snaps. I mean, Josh Allen played, I think, 60 to 65% of defensive snaps mm-hmm. last year. Um, didn't start a, a lot of games because uh, Ngakwe and Calais Campbell were in front of him. Yeah. So, you know, I think you're going to see the same thing. I think you're going to see Chase on, like, play 60% of snaps He's going to play less than that the first half of the season, um, and he's going to catch up as the season progresses. But I think it's a learning curve for him. Yeah, and yeah, I I see what you're saying. I really and I do like the fact that you say like, yeah, I don't know, I need to see more, or whatever. Because usually when you talk to somebody, yeah, you don't get that, especially a fan of a team. Uh, I and you mentioned a three four. I really think a three four defense is probably the best way for New Jacksonville going forward. We have Chase on Allen the outside, and I think Allen could probably he's athletic enough where he can cover. You know, Chase on does absurd things like chase down CD Lamb, you know, yeah. and make and, and yards against the after the catch uh, for him. And you know, this offseason they just didn't really have a whole lot of money. 
But they added a lot of veterans. They added Jarquez Denard, Rashawn Melvin, Ronnie Guntner, Cassius Marsh, and Al Woods. I think Al Woods is probably the best player in that bunch in his impact just because of how bad um, Jacksonville's run defense was last year. But the one big move they made was they signed Joe Schobert. So do you like the Joe Schobert signing? Yeah, I do. Um, and well, do you, well, I guess, do you like the Schobert signing and like the effect it has with Joe Schobert on the team? Or is it just like you think Joe Schobert's a talented player? Well, I do think Joe Schobert is a talented player. Like Cleveland players were lamenting the fact that Cleveland didn't try to resign him. So that's a feather in his cap. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think that, so in 2017, we had kind of, you know, uh, Joe Schobert, you know, Joe Schobert's clone in uh, Paul Pazlesny. Yeah, they're really in similar. The middle. Yeah. They're, they're really similar. And like, I hate to say that, but like, because they're both like pretty much like just stocky white dudes who yeah. play middle linebacker, but they at a big they, 10 school. Yeah. At a, yeah. And it's like, it's like, okay, Ryan, like, you know, but they actually play very similarly. Um, and they let, I mean, Paul Pozlesny, he was really under, underappreciated at the time. We made fun of him all the time because he was just like a big slow. Like he was like Mike Allstott playing mm-hmm. Mike, my, my uh, middle linebacker, but he really clamped down the middle and let Telvin Smith and Miles Jack run wild and do like crazy highlight things every game. And so if that's kind of changed my mind from putting Miles Jack at middle linebacker to no no no, we need we need like a boulder in the middle of the field and we need Miles Jack and someone else like doing what they do best which is just being fast um reacting well, playing pass coverage, um, you know, tackling running backs in the flat. Like we need, we need these guys to have space and room to just react and, and, and do what they do best. Um, they're not going to be guys that hold the middle. Joe Schobert is. And so I think Schobert is, um, he's a big signing for us because I think that moves miles Jack to his better position. Mm -hmm. And that allows Miles Jack to do the things that um, he's better at, um, that build his confidence, um, but that also help the defense, like, you know, stop opposing offenses. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's the way I see it. Like, I think Schobert is a good player. I think he's a lot better in pass coverage than he, like, he's a really intelligent zone coverage defender. Mm-hmm. Like, he can compute, like, a lot of different roles and he can watch a crosser, but then the cross goes outside the hash and then he gets deep and, uh, and he can like wrap while players off and he can do like, you don't want him covering the you know, Christian McCaffrey or you don't want him covering, you know, like a really great tight end individually one versus one, but like in zone coverage, he can do a lot of different things. And he's a very intelligent player and in run defense. I think he's really blockable. Like he takes a lot of blocks heads up and he missed 18 tackles last year. And I think a lot of them were just because he was chasing after guys and dove and you know, the guy getting paid $5 an hour to chart, you put that down as a missed tackle, and it's just like him trying to do something that he wasn't able to do. But I do think the key about the Schobert signing isn't the fact that like you know he's a good player who's worth $10 million. It's that by having Joe Schobert, you're putting him in middle linebacker, and now Miles Jack can play Will, and Miles mm-hmm. Jack can run all over the field and run from the middle of the field to the sideline and be an athlete instead of having to you know read and react and, and switch gaps and deal with, you know, this guy pulling over here and the play's actually going this way. And just by the fact that Schobert can simplify Miles Jack's game, I think that's what made the signing so important for mm-hmm. uh, the Jaguars for this season. 
Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly right, and and it, it it's it's nice that you know Jaguars fans just have that recent example of uh, Paul Pozlesny because like it just it helps them see like okay this is exactly the role that Schobert's here for. I think if we hadn't had that we'd be like well why do we need that guy? We just we we need like just maybe like a Miles Jack who's a little bit smarter in the middle and it's like no no you need more than that. You need like you need someone who's like maybe a little bigger or or someone mm-hmm. who's better against the run or someone who just has like a different mentality than Miles has. Like Miles's mentality is great maybe not for middle linebacker but you know you put you put miles outside and it's like okay he he's got that mm-hmm. um and so I, I think jaguars fans it was probably like the easiest slam dunk signing for us to have we're like oh we have like we have a paul who's like you know 6 years younger and is better against the pass like yeah. awesome yeah and that's the way i put i really thought the signing was dumb to happen and then Go back and watch a bunch of video, just seeing how lost and confused uh, Miles Jack looked out there at times. I, it kind of made me realize, you know, there's there is an importance to going from worse in the league to acceptable, and I think that's a that's something that's very valuable. And I think the Jaguars did that by uh, you know signing Joe Schobert this offseason. My last question for you defensively, or I well I have two questions for you defensively. The first is out of Quincy Williams, Donald Payne, Leon Jacobs, Najee Good. And Austin Calitro, like a decade from now, which one of those linebackers are you gonna you know, think the most fondly upon? Uh, you know, whenever it's like 2030. That's a real who's who of uh, linebackers you got there. Um, I want to say Quincy Avery. Like I, I really, I want him. Like I, I love his story. I love. Um, I love the fact that he made his own highlight tape. Um, I, I, you know, I think he's got a ton of athleticism. I just think he's like really undersized. Um, and I just, I don't think the pro game, I don't think he's going to succeed very well in the pro game. Mm-hmm. Um, probably good. Probably Najee good. Um, I just think his size uh, lends himself to matching up better to NFL linebackers. Yeah. Let's go. I, I think every NFL player whose last name's good ends up not being very good in the league, which is fine. Uh, my personal favorite is Austin Kalicher just because he like struggled to cover Ryan Griffin and watching Ryan Griffin, the Jets scores the Jaguars was kind of fun to see last year too. Uh, <laughs> but the point is that all these guys started linebacker for Jackson. They were all very bad. My other question for you about their defense. And the last one I have is they did draft C.J. Henderson with their first-round pick, the one ahead, uh, Chase on. And they also, Trey Herndon, they sign Denar, they sign Melvin. Where do you think, who do you think is going to end up starting the second cornerback spot? Because I'm assuming Her- Henderson's going to start for sure. Do you think Herndon's going to be able to beat out Melvin or Denard and start as the second cornerback next year? Yeah, no, I, I think Herndon... Hmm. You know, my my knee jerk is to say Herndon is the guy. I I thought, you know, he he struggled last year, but he he showed enough to me that it's like, okay, if you if you put a good guy opposite him, he can be your number two guy. Um, I think they brought in Denard as competition to see if Trey could do it. 
I'm going to say Trey, but I think cornerback is going to be a really interesting, like under the radar position battle for the Jaguars. Mm -hmm. I think, I think wide receiver is going to be fun to watch, even though the depth chart is like, it's predictable. Like you can tell like who's going to be, um, who's going to be where and like probably who's going to be cut. Same with tight end. Um, Tyler Eifert is, you know, a new signing. So it's, it's going to be interesting to, to watch him. But I think, yeah, I think Trey Herndon gets it. Yeah, he was in a real Minshew situation last year where he goes from you know, being a backup cornerback to Jalen Ramsey doesn't want to play anymore to being the second corner and and going from like not playing to that role was difficult. And you know, he was you know one of the worst corners in the league last year, but I did think he had some flashes and I think he could play like in a cover three scheme, you know, well enough. Yeah, I, I wish he wasn't uh the you know, C B two. Like if he was your third best corner and you were like, Hey, it's a project um, you know, he's flashed, he struggles at, you know, A, B and C, but like, we, we think we have something here. I would love that. Like he was in, he was in the perfect situation last year mm-hmm. with Jalen and AJ ahead of him. It's like, okay, those two are dogs. Those two are like, like the guys, obviously. And Trey can just develop behind them. Um, but him being forced into an outside role, it's like, you see what he does good. You see what he does bad. Unfortunately, what he does bad is is more than what he does good, but he's also, you know, undrafted free agent. Yeah. He's also like a young dude. Um, and so we'll we'll see. Like Gardner, I think Trey was kind of thrust into a situation that he wasn't prepared for and that the team wasn't prepared for. And honestly, if we're looking at the weaknesses of the Jaguars defense last year, like the pass defense wouldn't be at the top of my list. Like it'd be that interior run defense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I have I have four quick questions for you before yeah. tonight's show, and these are kind of like rapid fire, I guess. The first cool. is, do you think Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell make it past this season? Yes, easily. Okay. Uh, what would you consider a successful season for the 2020 Jaguars? Um, eight wins and Gardner Minshew is, um, convincingly the guy you move forward with. Okay, cool. Um, and so going back to that, who starts at quarterback for the Jaguars in 2021? Well, I don't think we'll have a successful season because <laughs> we're the Jaguars. Um, <laughs> I think we trade the farm for Trevor. Gotcha. And they have the opportunity to do so, it seems like, too, if they don't fall into that number one overall pick spot. Um, and so lastly, what's your prediction for the number of wins the Jaguars have this season? Six and ten. Six and ten. Yeah, I had them at five and eleven. Like, I don't think they I don't think they're bad enough to be like a scum scraping, you know, two in team. But if they do start off slow, the kind of concern is that they'll bench everybody and kind of tank the rest of the year to to be able to draft someone like Trevor Lawrence and the first round Minshew doesn't look very good. But who? I mean, but who do they bench for? I mean, they they have like their their they have uh, Chenault, who's a rookie. He's going to mm-hmm. be your wide receiver too. Um, you've got Gardner. I mean, you're going to bench Gardner? Like, why why would you bench Gardner? Yeah. Um, you've got Eifert as your tight end one. 
and Josh Oliver is your tight end too. And then on That's the defensive the side of the ball, everybody's you have, so young. This is the youngest roster in the league. Exactly. You're going to like just bench your, your young, good players for young, bad players. Yeah, that's a good point. And I and I think that kind of leads more to Jacksonville maybe being a five or six win team then, you know, than maybe let's say like you know, the Jets or something like that, who if it's bad and they fire Gase or whatever, you know, maybe it kind of lends itself more to seeing something like that occur. Dude, the Jets are like a sneaky tank for Trevor team. Yeah, because I think Gase is an awful like, coach. Like I like the talent the Jets have, but I hate Gase. Like wherever he's going to be head coach, it's going to be bad. Like everybody who doesn't play for him gets better except for Peyton Manning. <laughs> well, I mean, Peyton's kind of a unicorn, so. Yeah. Uh, so do you have anything else you, you want to talk about tonight? Or you you, ha- you got all the Jaguars out of your heart for the 2020 season? I got, no, I've got plenty of Jaguars in my heart, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no, I got nothing else. I mean, I, I hope this didn't sound doom and gloom uh, to your listeners because I, I love the Jaguars. I mean, this is a team that I rooted for when Maurice Jones-Drew was our entire offense and he was, you know, taking handoffs from Blaine Gabbert and then Chad Henney. Um, and so, no, I mean, I, I, I loved this team when we had a guy whose name was literally Malarkey coaching it. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to love this team when, uh, you know, th- this team's a lot better than than that malarkey team was and and they have you know a quarterback who may not be good but he's fun to watch i mean yeah. if you if you need to understand why i'm i'm excited about the possibility of watching football all you need to do is watch that touchdown against the denver broncos last year and mm-hmm. and watch that game winning drive like i mean the guy got out of three or four tackles in the pocket just randomly lofted it up like he was playing you know flag football um and he, and he won the game on the road. And, and, and we thought, we thought at that moment, it was like, Oh, this is a playoff team, you know, as mm-hmm. every dumb NF, NFL fan does um, when they beat a bad team on the road, they're like, Oh, we're, we're a playoff team. It's like, no, you're just another bad team. Uh, <laughs> but no, you beat, uh, you beat Joe Flacco. Yeah, we beat, yeah, we beat Joe Flacco, Super Bowl winning Joe Flacco. We beat him. Um, no, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to watch the game. Um, I will say though, I mean, we didn't we didn't really touch it that much this interview, but in terms of the COVID stuff, you know, we we saw today. I don't know when you're going to release this, but like we saw today was the first day that veterans were reporting, and I mean, teams like the Patriots and Packers just had a ton of players opting out, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that as the week progresses because i think the deadline to opt out is august 5th or august 7th okay and and so we're we're, we're going to see a lot a lot more of that and you know hey i mean more power to those guys they're, they're doing it because of their health their family's health whatever but um i think the nfl is going to press on i mean this is just the nfl is a machine and if they have to put in keanu reeves at quarterback for some like lowly you know team like they'll they'll do that. They'll play the season with replacement players. But call, call Zach Menberger up. I'm sure he'll play. Yes, exactly. I'm sure Old Blame will play again too. You know. Yeah. We I, get Jake Locker back. We get Tom <laughs> Savage back. We're gonna get. Um, uh, I mean, I was gonna say actually Blaine Gabbert. I was like, oh, Blaine Gabbert's long. And no, the dude is like still. He just beat us like two years ago. Like. <laughs> um. No, I mean we're 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 
we're going to get a lot of players opting out and I mean, more power to them. Like, you know, Hey, go for it. But, um, I'm still excited to watch the Jaguars play football this fall. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I'm kind of looking at like they're going to play and, uh, and like, it's their own personal choice to make. I couldn't imagine you get upset because, you know, a player decides not to play this year because of these following reasons or whatever. And I do think you made a great point though. Like there's a difference between being a fan and then having like a, a rational conversation about if you think this player is good, this team is good, you know? And I think so much of it comes along the line of as a fan, well, everything's good and everybody else is bad when that's not how the case at all, you know? And so this was fun. This is a good conversation. And I, I feel like I better understand the Jaguars as a whole now after speaking to you about them. Well, I apologize for that. I, I think a good tombstone would be, there's a lot of Jaguars in my heart, unfortunately. <laughs> or there, I, I live with a lot of Jaguars in my heart, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm going to ask the wife to, uh, to make sure that's in our living will. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, until this is the first episode of the AFC South preview. And until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, Ryan. All right. Thanks, man.